This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Jason. And we're going to talk about uh, just you and me and uh, how things go. You, you, you do listen to a lot of podcasts. Are you, uh, do you listen to Joe Rogan? You know, once in a while, I only I don't listen to him regularly, but I've listened to him when he had a couple of interviews. Based on to guests, his, right? Yeah, based on guests. I listened to his, um, I think, Tulsi Gabbard oh, uh, yeah. and Bernie Sanders. And uh, and I actually listened to his Alex Jones interview because I'd never, <laughs> I never, I just was like, what is up with this guy? He's and, got uh, some mental illness issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, borderline. Seems, sort of stuff. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> that, Everybody's that's got their issues, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, once in a while. Well, the reason I I say that is because this is it's not I never do interviews because every time I read interviews uh, I was like these suck and the only <laughs> time that I've never you know the only time I've ever seen an interview that was good was like it's like um they tend to be like hard hitting somehow mm-hmm. and that's not really what I'm I'm not here to take you down Jason. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> I just. Uh, I, uh, this is basically an excuse to make friends, uh, with people on the internet. Yeah. So, uh, you seem like a cool dude. Thanks, Um, man. You seem cool too. I always enjoy all, I mean, you're, you're a very prolific, uh, tweeter and I I always enjoy all the stuff. Maybe a little bit too prolific. Well, I I don't, well, I don't know how your time is spent, but I know that what the time that I do see spent is spent finding these really wonderful and, uh, you know, strange things and, um, you know, all the, uh, you know, I appreciate all the man-eating plant images. And, uh, <laughs> I, I sometimes worry I maybe I'm overdoing this. <laughs> you know, it's 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 amusing to me that um, man-eating plants such an old trope that uh, in the 1930s in his essay on uh, how to not how to write science fiction, Lovecraft is like, you have to avoid crusty tropes like man-eating plants. <laughs> I'm like, really? Uh, I guess. I mean, but now I, mean, I, I suppose it's something that's been around since like the Victorian era, right? Yeah, um, at least. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a story. I, I'm sure I sent it to you. Um, it's set in Cuba, I think, around the time of American expansion into Cuba, mm-hmm. and uh, it's got some guys in the jungle, and they encounter a man-eating plant. And it's just gorgeous illustrations. Just makes you like say that's that's what keeps me going is is the illustrations. That's why I'm so I was like so into you know that map is because like I want to go that place. I want to see. I want it inspires me to read the the books. It inspires me to so illustration I think is is uh what a lot of what drives my me and my website's about audio so it's like a kind of a weird um, well it I, makes sense that you're using Twitter for the illustrations and sure. uh you know because that's such a good medium for that and uh you know yeah you you're just covering all the senses eventually you'll have your smell <laughs> vision and uh, taste vision cast or whatever you know uh you, we were studying up for um that Lord Dunsany book King of mm-hmm. Influence Daughter there's even a plant monster in there yeah i i was rereading it and i'd love to talk i'd love to talk, I, you know even though i'm late to the party i'd love to talk about that um, well, I yeah, saw you that you read the Ivy stuff. Uh, yeah, you read the Dunsany biography. Like. I did by Mark Amory, um, which is an interesting book. It, it's really 
valuable, but it has huge gaps because basically Amory doesn't care at all about Dunsany's dream stories. And he pretty much dismisses, he pretty much dismisses them all outright as like, as almost juvenilia. He barely talks about them. And once he gets, once Dunsany gets to his later realistic novel phase, Amory sort of perks up and uh, starts to to talk more. Mostly it's just sort of family anecdotes and stuff about his life that has very little to do do with his writing. Right. Um, And you, and I think somebody, somebody, um, I was at a, a Dunstany panel at Necronomicon, and we were talking about the biography, and somebody on the pa- else in the panel said, like, yeah, it's too bad they couldn't find a biographer who actually liked Dunstany's fiction, which is kind oh. of, yeah, so it's kind of a drag in that sense. But there's also Daryl Schweitzer's book, I think, which is called Pathways to Elfland, mm. um, which is a short book, and it's not a biography. It came out, um, yeah, it's just a short book from the science fiction small press in the 70s or 80s, but it's it's quite good for the fiction side. So together they make one good book, I guess. Oh, that's I'm looking at that now. Wow, it's got a great cover. Who did that? Oh, I, is it, is it um, Frias or uh, uh, Frank Frias? Yeah, I know, I know. It's Tim Kirk. I think it's Tim Kirk. Oh, Tim Kirk, yeah, yeah. Wow, it's very much your, like your style, actually, Tim Kirk. And now that I think about it, Tim Kirk is. Is I mean he he he's not as ornate as you, but uh, when I, when I first saw your stuff online, your uh, Mockman character stuff, I was like, I don't like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Fair then enough. and then because uh, I'm not, I didn't grow up with manga. I didn't mm-hmm. have that as a you know. I was a DC Marvel and Charlton. Uh, I don't know that sort of guy. And, sure, sure. And you know my my niece who's. Uh, young, she loves, loved manga. I don't know that she's still on it, but she was into it, right? I think it's a, a younger person's medium in a certain sense. Um, or at least it was. I don't know if it still is, but, uh, I see a lot of people are into it. But uh, what really bothered me about it was, first of all, it's backwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that takes some getting used to. And then after it's backwards, it's, referencing all sorts of stuff that i have no idea what's going on so just it felt like it felt like watching anime uh, uh, was the same thing it's like i said what's the best anime movie you know i love every kind of movie uh and i got recommendations and somebody recommended one called wings of hanames oh yeah that's a great one yeah so that i was like oh this is an alternate uh space race a sort of movie and um uh, so i got into i was like I don't like this. <laughs> it bothers me. There's something wrong with it. Like the logic is broken. And what I realized is, is, is because it's coming from a completely different place. It has no shared common stuff. So you sort of have to be within it. And, um, it's, it's, it's why I really think everybody who talks about, uh, Lovecraft as being a racist is the first thing that comes out of their mouth. Um, what they're, doing is they're just dismissing everything and that's a big mistake anything that exists and is really ongoing there's something going on there that you need to pay attention to and so i i I had very great difficulty getting into this whole phenomena that is you know basically asian uh comics and asian movies uh sorry not asian movies asian animation Mm-hmm. I had no trouble with, uh, you know, Hong Kong action movies and Japanese samurai movies and, you know, anything Akira Kurosawa did was 10 times better than, right? You know, it was not that. It was, it was, um, it was very specific. But then I completely changed my mind. 
Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, now I really like this style. And more importantly, I, I don't know that it's, you know, everybody, but I, I got those Good to Nabby books, the adaptations. Oh, those ones. Yeah. Really beautiful inside. Um, they are still backwards, I think. Well, it's interesting, you know, um, up through the, well, Japanese comics didn't start getting translated into English significantly until the late 80s. Right. But for the first 15 years or so, they were all um, mirror imaged, you know, so they right. read right, left to right in the, you know, in the, in the, in the English alphabet fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very, that was standard for almost 20 years. But um, essentially, uh, there's two factors. Um, one is that publishers basically, a few certain few publishers realized that they could save money by not translating the sound effects, because huh. that's a huge that's then that's a you know like ten or fifteen dollars or more a page. Oh, to draw how, to redraw it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. to redraw the sound mm-hmm. effects in English. Um, they didn't want to leave the Japanese sound effects. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about the dialogue, of course. I'm talking about like the big boom and right. blam and stuff like that. Right. You know, so I, I used to work for a company that did this. Yeah, Shonen Jump um, is my understanding. Or yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but they could save. But uh, so some of our the competitors of Shonen Jump realized they could save money by not translating the sound effects, and for that to work, they had to keep it right to left. And then they made they did this whole campaign where that became like this cool thing. So like you're a cool you're a cool hipster who you know who's in on the know if you can read if you're able to read Japanese comics right. in the original. And we're saving money. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing though is that also a lot of the Japanese artists um, really didn't like seeing their work mirror imaged because uh, speaking as someone who draws myself, it's true mm-hmm. that when you see when I see my work in a mirror, I, suddenly all the flaws jump out at me. I realize, wow. oh my god, it's so off balance. Ah, oh, this is what everyone else is seeing. Ah, oh, it's. It's like um, it's like seeing your your face from an unexpected angle mm. or something, mm-hmm. and your so whether I mean so yeah, but of course those flaws were always there, but it's just not you know if you're intimately familiar with the source material, then you become nervous about it. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, that's digression, but um, but yeah, that's, that's I, what I we're here for. Don't worry. I didn't think that there would ever. I, I didn't really think that it would ever take off. Um, right to left as it has, but that's then basically it's just a, it's you know it's been a, it's a cultural shift mm-hmm. <laughs> within this mm-hmm. tiny subculture. So people so, yeah. people get into it. Uh, that's that's really what I get off on is you know a day, I was going through um, just this week because I, I had a ton of Dunsany this week, mm-hmm. so I started off last Sunday, so basically exactly a week ago. Um, uh, we did. The Silver Key, um, oh, yeah. Lovecraft, and that's a very Dunsanian story in a certain sense. It's, it's also Lovecraftian, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't picture Dunsany ever quite doing the moral. No, arc of that story, no, he's know? he's much lighter uh, yeah. when it comes to that stuff. Uh, it, it's really there. It's strikingly different people in tone, and and yet mm-hmm. you know they they Lovecraft would love to have had the you know the title and the. <laughs> the um, that yeah. library and the castle and all that stuff, um, but uh, he's they're yeah they're coming at it from a different personality. They're definitely different people. But uh, I was saying how similar Celephaeus was to to um, to the one I did on Wednesday. I uh, do a, a Wednesday show as well, and that was uh, the coronation of Mister Thomas Shap. Yes. And that story is like, it's so much what Celephaeus is, but it has a different 
tone and a different um it's it's sort of cutesy uh yeah um and yet uh if you look at it deeply which i don't think dunsany was expecting anybody to do um like uh, just the like that name shap turns out that there's like multiple things where i thought you know it's like uh neil gaiman's lord shaper you know uh for the sandman one of mm-hmm. the many names but yeah. also um you know, the word crap and crappy. Um, it's from like the, sh- the husk, the shell. Huh. Okay. And what happens to the guy, right? Is basically what happens at the end of Selfaeus, where basically this, this, this guy has left his body and he's gone into the dream, dream realm. Um, but his body's still there. Yeah. And so instead of being dead at the end of, uh, the Lovecraft story, and physically, you know, his body's in the in the waters beneath the cliffs at Trevor Towers. He's in an insane asylum where, you know, his body's being treated fairly well by some government employees. <laughs> and, yeah. and his spirit is uh, perhaps still in his body. But with that name, it's like, wow, Dunsany, like he he did have uh, more than just the the shallow sort of entertainment value that he was so successful at in a way that yeah. Lovecraft wasn't, um, you know, that, that story is, it's, it's like the wonderful window. He's, he is sort of saying the same things over and over again, coming at it from different angles, but sort of even like, yeah, you're rereading the beginning of, um, of King of Elfland's daughter, right? That preface is mm-hmm. to help ease people into it. Right. I, yeah, that's it. It's that kind of that's actually the most ironic bit in Elfland's Daughter. Really, it's where it starts out it's like starts out saying, "No, don't don't worry, readers. You prefer realistic fiction. This is we're talking about. We also talk about a normal English village, just a few miles from the right. border of Elfland. It's a lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. Uh, so th- I haven't read everything by Dunsany. I read. Um, I read a bunch of the Book of Wonder stories. And in fact, that's what I was doing this week on top of all the listening. I was digging into the first, uh, well, some 1911 issues of, um, the sketch. And that's where the Sydney sign uh, oh, wow. illustrations were first put out rather than in the book publication. Uh-huh. Um, they're not actually better. Illust- this particular scan doesn't make it so that it's clear, but, um, seeing them page, facing each other so you've got a full text story on one page and on the other side is the full illustration and see you know you would flip open the magazine you read the story and you look over and you don't even have to you know flip any pages to read the whole story um and 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 the fact that these stories are things like how he mentions in the thomas shap story you know that reading the half penny papers um and this is a magazine for rich people, right? The sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's talking about regular folks, real people, not the people he, his audience actually is. And I think that's one of the cool dynamics, right? Not people with, you know, 400 pounds a year and in investment income, but rather the guy who is working at the shitty job, uh, selling products that he doesn't like and. Well, I, I think it, it's probably more convincing that he, that kind of person, would be the person whose life is so miserable they want to escape into dream world. You know, definitely. Rather, yeah, right. I, I mean, mean that's I, part of part of uh, being 
uh, you know, if if you're wealthy, you've got different kinds of problems than if you're poor. You have addiction problems. You have uh, purposeless problems. You have I don't know, losing all your money and gambling problems, whatever they are. Ennui, yeah. Yeah, meaninglessness. Yeah, um, you know, Dunsany really, you were talking about Shap. Really, he's so good with names. Um, oh, yeah. He's so good with coming up with names. One of the things I did recently um, was I went through uh, the first his five or six dream story collections, and I just listed all the, I, I just copied down all the names. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never, and it, it, he almost never repeats himself. Um, and the names are so good. I mean, the, you can see them sort of coming in, in arcs sort of because when it starts out they're very sort of biblical and sort of kind of high class and then as the stories get a little more ironic and sillier they start to get a little more goofy like there's names like Nipi Shang and the <laughs> Tom Tom Tarup and stuff like that right. but um, I, I almost suspect that uh, I mean there is a little bit of a mythos in the dream stories because there are some that are connected and where they refer back to one another. But I almost think that one of the reasons Lovecraft, you know, developed a mythos just because he didn't have it wasn't as good at coming up with new names. Mm. So the demon in one story had to be Oxythos, and it had to be the same. It had to be Oxythos from the other story, but you know, so retroactively he constructed a, you know, a reason for reusing them. I'm semi-serious here, but no, I think no, I, I'm, I'm with you. Um... Uh, the one I've got here in front of, I've got two in front of me that I printed out from the 1911 um, publication. Um, episode 12, Miss Cubbage and the Dragon of Romance. This is the only yeah. one that didn't get a, a Sidney Syme illustration. Uh, um, but Cubbage, that's not a real name. <laughs> um, but it's, it's pretty. It lets you know exactly what kind of character they are. Right? Yeah, and then there's a there's a, the other one I have. Uh, I read these two with students this week. Um, how Nuth would have practiced his art upon the Knolls. Uh, and yeah. Nuth is N U T H. And then his his apprentice uh, is Tonker. <laughs> and to- it turns out it's Tommy Tonker. It was what his parents called him. Yeah, yeah. And the, oh, and the oh, whole Knowles yeah. thing, right? He basically yeah, invents it's, that. It's got to be gnomes plus trolls, right? Right. And then it becomes yeah. a Dungeons and Dragons thing. The difference. Yeah. Did items. you ever read the, um, have you done the Idris, the Idris Seabright story, which is a sequel to, um, how, no. Nas, how wouldn't Nas have practiced the art upon the Knoll? I, I know this is the ro- sold ropes to the Knolls or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, no, I haven't read that one. It's pretty good. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's exactly it's a perfect little pastiche, and they describe nice. a knoll too. I, I'd forgotten about that until I reread it. They uh, they have they they visually describe a knoll as looking like quote like a Jerusalem artichoke made out of India rubber. <laughs> Those are very uh, Dunsanian words. Yeah, Jerusalem artichoke made out of Indian rubber. Yeah, yeah, that's oh. great. So um, one had blob. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. see if that's public domain. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I do. Idris yeah. um, Seabright. Yeah, they, I th- I think that was probably an FNSF. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I read it when I was a kid in uh, one of the Alfred Hitchcock um, short story collections. Oh, um, uh, was that Margaret St. Clair? Yeah, she. That's her. Um, uh-huh. That was her pseudonym. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Some of her stuff is public domain, um, and some of it's really good, actually. Uh, yeah. There's a great uh, photo of her um, 
from one of those science fiction magazines. She's got that 50s hairdo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was a Cali- – I believe she lived in California too. So that right in, you know, yeah. so right next to where I am. Um, I mean, I uh, – it's – Occasionally, I get interested in tracking down the science fiction and fantasy people who are in California. I mean, once mm-hmm. you get into the once you get to the second half of the 20th century, it's basically everybody. Ray right, Bradbury right. and everybody's in L.A. Right, but um, the north the Northern California ones are a little they're a teeny, it's a teeny bit rarer. And well, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick yeah. was in San Francisco, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Have you been by his house? He's, I never have actually. I've been I, by Clark Ashton Smith's. Um, oh. You know, well, he doesn't cool. have a house anymore, but I've, I've seen yeah, the yeah, subdivision. A, sh- a log cabin or something, right? Yeah, but it burned down. So. I, I, you, I assume you saw that uh, great documentary. Um, uh, what's it called? I, uh, Emperor of Dreams? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Dude, you got to see it. It's it. so I good. Uh, I was like, I don't know. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'll chuck it in. I, I spent way too much money on uh, Hippocampus Press's website. Just keep adding things to the cart. And it's like, oh, it's only 20 bucks. I'll get it. And it's like, it was, um, I, I, one of the, one of the great things about modern technology is now they can do things like they did in the movies very cheaply with drones, you know, like just to give you a shot of what his neighborhood looked like. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, they did, they did drone shots. Of his, oh uh, yeah. And, oh wow. That's and, good. and it's, it's basically just a whole bunch of interviews. Um, and then a couple guys reading, uh, you know, clips of the Emperor of Dreams and, and we see photographs of, his work and that stuff but it's one of the best documentaries on a writer i've ever seen and you know there's been a few of them there's been like four yeah. or five philip Dick movies uh or something uh the, you know there's a really good lovecraft one i guess on um on youtube in fact which one is that uh fear of the unknown i think um, Lovecraft, Fear of the Unknown, and oh, I might have seen that. I yeah, seen it's that. it's pretty well known, and it's not new or anything, but it's feature length, and it's it's good. You know, it's interviews with his admirers and uh, people who know about his stories. Um, but yeah, Clark Ashton Smith is somebody. I feel like I, if I had been working on him longer, I would be a much more edified person. <laughs> That's what I feel like, uh, you know, I classified on the website, you know, when you first put stuff on iTunes for podcasts, mm-hmm. I put uh, us under arts, literature, education or something like that. Ah, okay. and I, I think of what I do as education. Well, you're an educator, but, you know, well, yeah, but I'm educating well. myself, you know, yeah. like <laughs> it's it's if anybody else wants to come along, that's cool. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, that lifelong learning thing sounds like something that they talk about when you've got some elderly people who want to go back to college or something. <laughs> I'm not talking but about it, that. I'm just saying, know. Yeah, just yeah. totally be reading all the time and finding out these cool things about what's going on or what was yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, so the re- the whole reason I'm in, I mean, the, the main reason that I'm aware of Smith and any, any of this stuff is my dad um, used to be a science fiction and horror, well, not really horror ever, but used to be an Arkham House fan. Mm-hmm. And so when I was growing up, there were all these um, Clark Ashton Smith, Lovecraft, and one Lord Dunsany book, uh, like scattered around the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's... So that's how I discovered all of this. And he had a lot of the Ballantine fantasy editions, mm-hmm. too, the 1970s paperbacks, with, which had really great covers. So I started reading all of those when I was about 12 or 13. Perfect. Um, 
so uh so yeah that's that's kind of how that's kind of my background in all of this but when i was a really little kid even before that um I mean, he had a, my dad had a ton of science fiction anthologies, just sort of random ones. He actually doesn't hasn't read any fiction, including science fiction, in about thirty years. I think he just totally now he only now he's retired and he only reads historical, you know, historical nonfiction. But um, but uh, he had all these science fiction anthologies, and uh, I would re- I I could have never read great attention span, so I would go through them, look at the table of contents, and read the shortest stories. <laughs> Work yep, my way up to the I'm right with ones. you there. And, you know, and uh, so, and I'd occasionally copy them out in the in you know on some lined school paper with and draw illustrations. Right. But I'd usually lose patience. So I'd only copy out like the first two couple paragraphs of a story, sure. and then I'd like this. I'd be like, ah, I only, you know, like ah, and then it just peters out to nothingness. And there's like a little drawing of some stick figure astronauts, you know, or right. in the beginning of this Ray Bradbury story or whatever. So that's how I encourage my students. What we that's why you know the PDF page. I'm always pushing and the reason i push it is because i just think it's cool <laughs> that you can read it from the original source yeah with those yeah. illustrations there i you know i print them up for myself and then i make photocopies of those for students and then we sit down and we read the stories as they appeared where this sort of commercial um you know we got to try and make people buy this magazine is now used to try and convince kids to enjoy a story by giving them <laughs> yeah. all of the, you know, those bonus things like the editorial introduction that sort of eases you into it and the illustrations that ease you into it. And, uh, and the, I, I think the historical setting is cool. Like just yeah. old, old yeah. things are cool. Um, but, uh, it, it is that phenomena of, like I was thinking, what was the first? How did I get into Clark Ashton Smith at all? It was it was very indirect. I started with Tolkien, of course. Uh, my father had a copy of The Hobbit on his shelf, and I said, "Dad, read us this." We don't have any internet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll have internet for about twenty years or so, and uh, when we do, it's going to be very slow, and it'll use the phone line. So I need something right now, and let me read you this <laughs> book with a dragon on the cover. You were very forward-thinking. Uh, absolutely. I, like I knew what was to come. I'm reliving my life just like uh, the guy in the silver key. <laughs> Randolph Carter. Um, anyways, uh, he uh, he read us that, and then that sort of just per- percolated in the background. And then somehow I, I, I was into comics, of course, and I found the Conan comics. And Conan was uh, all about Robert E. Howard stories, adaptations. Yeah. And then there'd be like this guy, Solomon Cain. And then somehow Rob- Robert E. Howard's uh, stuff was getting infused with Lovecraft stuff. And oh, then yeah. Lovecraft uh, leads you to Clark Ashton Smith. I, that, that's my route. So it was, it was very indirect. And I, I mean, I'd heard of Lovecraft because of the games in the eighties, but I didn't I only played it a couple of times or whatever. And I'd never read the stories. So I came to all that stuff very late. Um, but I, I feel like I'm much more expert at Lovecraft now. And obviously I'm not, I haven't read, I haven't read all his poetry yet. So I'm not an expert. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I don't know if I have either. Dude, I mean, his I've poetry is uh... so good. I love it. 
<laughs> I well, love I it like, so much. I do like fungi from Yagos. I love, I, I've developed a new appreciation for that because it feels like it's so much of it is just a story. I don't have time to make it into a story, but I'll do it as a poem, you know? Uh, oh, uh, they are very deep, and I've, I've covered a mm-hmm. bunch of them um, as, you know, little episodes of reading short and deep and so, like stuff like that. But um, there are, you got to go, like, if you haven't gone beyond um, fungi from Yagos, there are. Uh, like there's lots of silly little poems like he writes for a birthday present you know uh to a one-year-old baby it's like yeah there's nothing really there right it's just all beautiful rhyming and uh, imagining what the future is going to be like but he he does do some storytelling that is it's like his prose poems or as clark ashton smith calls them i think prose pastels (laughs) Um, which I uh, think yeah. is pretty great, but uh, he there's like this. There's one called the Nightmare Lake, and it is it is just oh, yeah. it's so there good. Is. I know that one. Yeah, yeah. That, that has because that has Dreamland names. Oh in it, or, yeah, or names that could be Dreamland, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, you and, know, and it, it goes it goes really <clears throat> like there are some profoundly uh, horror and dream based poems that are there's one that was published in weird tales that was actually an abridged version of a longer one um that uh was called i can't remember anyways it it was um it's like the most complex rhyme scheme the most um difficult to understand but it's it's basically it's images right a series of images that are it's like you're seeing his dream but composed in a in just complexity that you and, and it takes like half an hour to read i'm just saying like reading all the words it would take half an hour to read but to understand it to go you know through it and figure out what he's actually showing mm. it is as dense as anything you've read in in prose and yet it's exactly the same like it's a, i think a real untapped resource for for images just like um I heard that HPLHS is going to have a, a new commonplace book uh, reproduction. Oh, cool. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, it's re- I just an email yesterday, I think, and it's like, oh, that'll be interesting. But if you take those images that are just basically ideas for stories and you draw them out, like I do, I'm like, oh, my God, that's it's like this guy, he's under, underground, he's gone and he's found this door and he opens the door and out comes flood of water. It's like, that's a dream image, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, and that's, I feel like, uh, these guys, Smith and Lovecraft and, and Dunsany are all really, they are doing the dreamlands, right? They, they really get it. I, I'm big into dreams myself. I know it makes no sense, but <laughs> you don't have to keep really careful interest in your dreams because nobody doesn't it can't it can't possibly affect anybody else's real world (laughs) unless you unless yeah unless you tell somebody about a dream that's really weird and then they're like what the heck you know yeah i mean it it, it can understand it helps you understand your own psychology like um i think you know i've always was disappointed as a kid that i always really wanted to have i had one or two lucid dreams as a kid Mm -hmm. where i and by lucid i mean that i suddenly in the middle of the dream i became aware that i was in a dream and i was like oh i'll defeat the monster or whatever right but um uh but i've never had like it's so rare that i have dreams that are like in the fakey in the well i say fake i'm I'm being harshly critical here in the dreams in the dream in the not really 
psychological dream-like sense, but more of the fairy tale dream sense that we talk mm-hmm. about that, that Dantini and Lovecraft wrote about. Mm-hmm. It's rare that I have dreams where you know I'm in some faraway magical land. You know, right? Because, no, yeah, no, that's not common. Yeah, because it's all—it's really just more. It's much more common to have it be made up of just bits and pieces of everyday life. Although, and what's weird though is occasionally, well. Um, occasionally I'll, you know, I don't know if you ever have this, but I'll dream that I'm reading about, I'm reading something or I'm mm-hmm. watching a movie and then mm-hmm. the plot of that or playing a role playing game. And then the plot of that will be so elaborate and it's really some create. then it'll be really some, something crazy and fantastical. Oh, yeah. and it's not like I'm aware in the dream that I'm like, Oh, I'm sitting there reading a book, but you know, but it's sort of just like, that's sort of the, um, the little preface, the beginning of the story, you know, that mm-hmm. this is not really happening, but still a little bit very vividly imagined out. Yeah, um, I, I found that that was the best way to determine whether I was in a dream. <laughs> There's a uh, really hilarious line at the beginning of one of the Lovecraft dream stories is he, he it, basically it says he was he's very pri- it, it doesn't say this, but it's like this. He's very prideful in his power. Uh, oh, he's such a prodigious dreamer. It's like something going, I go around bragging about, uh, <laughs> I'm the best dreamer, yo. I got the best dreams. What do you mean? Like, you have a vision for the future? No, no. At night, my, my dreams exceed all other dreams. It's like, whoa. But, um, I, what I did find is that, uh, the best way to tell, uh, is if you are in some place, um, and there's books. Of course there's books because you have books around you. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's books in your dream as well. Um, yeah. And you go up to it and you try and read it. You uh, yeah. either have, uh, <coughs> for some reason, the text is blurry or it's in a foreign language, right? Yeah. Um, or, or some runes or whatever. Yeah. Um, or you can get like the first sentence and then something becomes difficult somehow. Yeah. Um, and the reason for this is like so obvious, right? Is that your brain can't both generate uh, that amount of detail and be <laughs> and be perceiving it at the exact same rate it's like you your if your com- brain is a computer your gpu is is spinning real hard <laughs> and it's oh, trying no. to b- do both the visualization and the calculations for what's going to be happening on the next page uh, it's like fog in this old 3d game you know sure exactly um and so uh, it's funny, but I think you can, like, sometimes I can get, like, a whole, I tweet my dreams out, and I can get a whole huge dream out, um, and it's not, they're never exactly right, because you're trying to use words to describe things that aren't usually words, right? Sometimes yeah, it's phrases that you true. quote. Yeah. Um, but if you can get, if you can get it out really fast, like, just continuous, like, I, I can usually hang on to it for about half an hour of continuous typing, which is insane, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a very high level. Usually it's like uh, 240 characters or whatever. It's uh, it's just it's so interesting because you'll see patterns come up again and again, but they're not necessarily exactly what you're doing that week or what you had. Like, you know, if you play Tetris all night then you go to mm-hmm. sleep, you play, you have Tetris dreams. And it's just... Just uh, I guess so, yeah. I mean, I, I do, anyways. <laughs> um, so, actually, last night I had some weird dreams. I dreamed that I was, um, uh, well, I dreamed that I was in an office and there were some pitcher plants. There was like a little garden, a garden area, and there were pitcher plants. And uh, then I noticed that they had, um, 
they had these grubs on them, like these white grubs all mm. over the plants. And then I, then I got them on me, and I was like rolling around trying to get these grubs off. It was very, uh, very unpleasant. You're king of yellow, king and yellow, very Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was pretty good. Yeah, that woke me up. I also dreamed I saw an old friend of mine, or who I lost touch with, and they transitioned. They were trans women, but wow. that's that's a, that's a separate part you of the better, dream. And then that sort of worked into the. I guess so, but actually, actually, we're not friends anymore. So it's it's very that makes it even more random. But wow. but yeah, but uh, yeah, but at least it wasn't the usual like vague. I've forgotten what happened. You know, it, it didn't. Yeah, those, but those, no, but um, a very the rarest kind. I mean, I really appreciate it when I do have dreams or I'm traveling someplace that doesn't mm. exist. You know, because mm. that's a, well. I want to have dreams that are dreamland like right, right, you know, right. because it just feels like a, I don't know. It just, it would be, it would be fun. Um, and so, but I very, very rarely have that. I did dream that I was in some, uh, central American country, mm. it was very green and uh, tropical. And I was, I was trying to find the, uh, but then I was there. I was on Google maps, trying to locate my exact position on my cell phone mm. in the dream. So. Yeah, no, I, I have that. Sometimes I get like, the name of two streets or the name of the town and then i wake up and i i type it in and it sounds like it's a real word and then you know maybe there's some uh, so many good oh, good ones like there's uh yeah you know i've been waiting five years to talk to you so i got a lot of uh, I, I got a basically <laughs> I, I got a lot of story recommendations for you have you uh, read, read a lot of francis stevens you know, I really haven't. Um, the Elf Trap and was the first one I'd heard of, and uh-huh. then I started. I started listening to Citadel of Fear. Yeah, that's a, um, it's fun. It's it's not coherent really, but it's real interesting. I don't I think it. Your, oh, yeah. I listened to your podcast on it. I listened to your discussion of it, but I actually haven't finished the audiobook. So she's very, um, she's she's very isolated. I think. Because she's doing all this stuff before everybody else and out of contact with everybody else. But um, there's a story I talked about. I don't know if it's on the podcast feed yet. Um, by her. It's actually her first story. She wrote it when she was a teenager. Let's see if I can bring it up here. I'm, I'm almost finished collecting all of her stuff in public domain. There's like maybe two or three things left. And I haven't read everything yet. But uh, her first very pu- first published story is from 1904. And it's uh, in Argosy. It's uh, not even under her uh, pseudonym yet. It's called The Curious Experience of Thomas Dunbar, which sounds mm. like a, almost sounds like a um, Lord Dunsany title, right? Yeah, really. But it's not. And when I started reading it, I was thinking, um, oh, it's going to be this kind of story. Um, and it's actually what it is, is it, it's kind of a super science story, which is, you know, uh, giant, I don't know, dynamos and, uh, electrical power that can keep aircraft a lot, you know, giant airships going by microwave. I don't know. I'm just making it up. Basically yeah. giant laser guns from the moon sort of thing. Okay. Right? Um, a very curious occurrence. It's not exactly a parlor <laughs> story then. Yeah. Well, um, the, the curious experience of this Thomas Dunbar guy turns out that he gets, uh, hit by a car by a Japanese, uh, America, Japanese, He's, I don't know, half Japanese, half American or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got an American name. But it's, he, it's 1904. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he looks Japanese. Um, he gets run over by this guy in the car. And then the guy, instead of taking him to the hospital, takes him home. <laughs> and he puts Exciting. him in a bed. Um, and then he wakes up from his coma or whatever uh, in two or three weeks. 
And and he says, oh, good, you're awake. Um, I'll just uh, go out of the room. I'll be back for a minute. And then the guy gets up, uh, Thomas Dunbar gets up and goes, follows him. And he hears all these strange noises. What I love so much about reading this story is like, I have no idea what I'm about to, like, I, I just thought it was a Francis Stevens story. It's not the normal genre, which, you know, you've read Citadel of Fear, or part mm-hmm. of it. You know, um, it's kind of, uh, it, she has a style and a genre. This is actually, it's a superhero story. It's the no. very first one that I've ever even heard of. What happens is he follows this guy into this place, factory, and they're making some new metal. Um, and, uh, some accident happens and our hero, uh, tries to save a guy who's falling into a p- pit of acid or something. And he has the entire, uh, metal, new metal, uh, I don't know, imbued into him. And now oh he's gosh. able to lift like everything. And it's an irreplicable experience, just like Spider-Man. You know, you can't make another Spider-Man by getting radioactive spider and. Yeah. Right. And, and even at the end of the story, um, the, the Lex Luthor style creator, um, he's, he's not a bad guy, but he, he, he's, you know, he's that mad scientist who, yeah. who is the creator of this superhero. He, he even suggests his new superhero name and he says, you should be called Samson. And wow. Like, what the hell? This lady just, this is like, Thirty yeah. years before Batman, um, and Batman's just a regular power hero, but almost almost thirty years before Superman. She should have been. I bet she should have been mad in her old age when Superhero <laughs> comics came out. Well, where was this published? It was in Argosy. Oh, right, you said that. Yeah. Wow. In nineteen oh four, and and the thing is, is it 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 isn't classified as a uh, as a superhero story because there was none before this. Everything before this is like, um, you know. Robin Hood or Zorro yeah. and and even Zorro's I think a little later but uh you know we've got sort of iconic figures and we've got gods you know Thor is kind of a superhero but here we've got the actual generation of like a Daredevil style or uh super not superman cuz he's an alien right um but you know just a meta human somehow yeah and uh the okay. fact that she didn't get you know, a whole series out of it. She just made the first story and it was a, it's like the origin issue, you know? And then the next issue would be Samson out fighting in the streets. And then she's like off of writing for a while. And then she comes back with a whole new sense of, um, fantastic elements like an elf trap, which is mm-hmm. a great story. Um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, another really good one. She does science fiction. It's called uh, Friend Island. It's a it's set in the future where women have taken over the male roles. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I remember you. Yeah, I heard yeah, about that in your podcast. As yeah, well. and it's like that is. Um, she was like a visionary, and because I think she's so isolated from, I don't know, other people who are writing, uh, this stuff so early. She's so early, right? She's kind of, um, she would have benefited to have a correspondence with other writers like, you know, Lovecraft. And uh, I mean, Howard was really affected by Lovecraft. But I don't think, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think it's all the other way that much. Um, but, uh, Clark Ashton Smith certainly, I think, affected Lovecraft. Yeah. yeah. Or encouraged him or whatever, or, and vice versa, right? It's, yeah. They felt, they, it seems like they had a 
good or good you know, synchronicity. Somebody I guess. gets the you know somebody gets what I'm doing here. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. it, and they, and they also have the skill to make me appreciate it because they I look at their work and I say these are there's good things here. Well, with writers like I mean uh, writers like Stevens and also uh, Margaret St. Clair, I was literally yeah. I mean I lit- I've read so many books about science fiction when I was a kid, but I never heard of them, them at all. And I I feel, I feel there were a lot of female science fiction writers who just, you know, I I don't think they were they don't I don't I yeah, they, I feel like there's a lot that I had that I didn't have any any awareness of that just was nothing written about them um, in that period. So that yeah, they're, they're uh, not maybe that's a they're not as common, right? So fantasy yeah. and science fiction, just like if if oh you know I'm always arguing with people on Twitter, just saying you know well how do you know that's true? But basically, like I I look at the I look at the magazine uh, table contents, and mm-hmm. it, depending on the genre, you can sort of see way more or way way fewer women so like if you go to the love magazine love pulps it's all women and even when it's not women they're women pseudonyms right it's men <laughs> writing as women yeah um and this you know frank belknap long i think that's how you say his name used his wife's name when he was in like later career oh no way because wow. uh he was writing romance right a gothic romance so it, there's some of that. Um, but like in weird tales, um, there's a lot of women writers, mostly they're poetry, poets rather than, mm. um, you know, the number of poets, uh, as uh, at least 50% is my guess. Um, maybe higher. Mm. Um, and also, you know, there are, there are women writing as women in weird tales. CL Moore's, you know, yeah. But uh, yeah. I think a lot of people get it wrong thinking that like, H.P. Lovecraft uses his initials. That's what people did. A.C. Doyle, right? Oh, right, yeah. Um, so they're not necessarily hiding their their gender as much as that it was just a standard. Just like they, people would put captain at the front of their name. True, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, uh, USMC at the end or whatever. So there, there, are, there were women writing as women and writing uh, fantasy or science fiction stories for sure. But I, as a percentage, I would guess it's about 20% at most. Mm. So yeah, it's just natural that we, you know, we get Lee Brackett and we get, uh, CL Moore and we get a few names in, in the books. And then later on, we get Le Guin and, you know, yeah. writing as women. But I, I just think it wasn't as big as, you know, now it's, I would say more than 50% are women. Yeah. I haven't really, I gotta say, I don't, I don't read. A lot of new science fiction and fantasy nowadays as it's coming out. I mean, I've I've read some, a couple of Jeff Vandermeer's novels, and I like uh, I like what I've read of Ted Chiang. Ted Chiang's um, amazing. Yeah, but I haven't, um, and a couple others. But I, I have, but I, but typically, typically I, I wait until things have been digested by other Absolutely. people, and everyone tells me, "Oh, you got to read this." I'm not really out right out there like buying everything and checking things out, but that's. But that's just because of limited limited time. There's so, there's so many ancient, there's so many uh, medieval travel narratives to read. Dude, <laughs> I want to read all, all of them. Marco Polo first, you know. I, uh, there's a book I, I'm hoping somebody's going to narrate and um, we can do a show on. It sounds so cool. It's it's called uh, Sartor Resartus. Have you heard of this book? I've heard the title's familiar, but I have no idea what it is. So I've heard it of it. translates to uh, the Taylor Retailered. Oh, okay. And it was by Thomas Carlyle, published in 1836. I went and found all the 
serialization mm-hmm. and put it together. Not that that matters because there's a regular version, but it's, it's a fake book review <laughs> as a novel. What? Yeah. I'll just read the Wikipedia entry here. It's so cool. Um, 1836 novel by Thomas Carlyle first published as a serial. It purports to be a commentary on the thought in early life of a German philosopher called Diogenes Tufelsdrach, which translates as God born devil dung. <laughs> Author of a tome entitled Clothes, Their Origin and Influence. <laughs> and it's a parody of Hegel and German idealism. <laughs> wow. Um, I, yeah, that's. You know, right? Yeah, I love those kind of meta works. And yeah. You may when they, when you, I mean, like, that's why I love Don Quixote, uh-huh. you know, honestly, because it's so, it feels so ahead of its time, even, I mean, it's just novel, in fact. In fact. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, there's a, so speaking of a one, just, just to shoot out names to some random writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, yeah, I haven't, you know, I mean, I really, I, I haven't done that many comics. Um, I was I, in the when I did after I did Dream Quest, mm-hmm. I was actually considering doing. Um, there was a couple of other works that I, I briefly considered doing. Um, uh, I ended up doing the Clark Ashton Smith sort of stories. Yeah, instead. which you and sent I, me, and I I, yeah. I I don't know if I thank you enough for it, but oh gosh, I, I really dig it. Um, I, and we read the uh, like we were reading side by side with the uh, the original short. Um, the short, original short story and it's like yeah, yeah. I, you do what I, I really appreciate like why I r- really like Roy Thomas was he didn't fuck with the language like he didn't try and improve it he he would cut out where necessary to yeah. you know condense it into the actual page but that's what you did too right so eventually it becomes wordless <laughs> which well, is so cool certain, yeah I mean it just sort of happened originally there was originally I had text at the end too but then I felt I could it'd do better if like the narrator like the narrator you had nothing the narrator themselves was too startled to, to speak keep commenting and they just <laughs> let the image speak for themselves oh yeah um yeah i mean other some other works that i liked at the time uh that i really, that i considered ad- adapting and i guess i i feel it's kind of a cheat saying this because it's me i'll probably won't end up adapting these now but uh well there's um king of all Flint's daughter for one mm-hmm. uh the nightland by hodgson oh dude that would i um, i would yeah. kill some, you, I think you, that's you name somebody. I'll kill them in order for you to make that because yeah. Nightland is is it would be the perfect adaptation because the, the language is the problem there, not the story. Yeah, it truly is. Right, the it's the barrier. The, the, yeah, the real thing that I was rolling over over, over and over in my head at age twenty three or whatever uh-huh. as a very as a very uh, very shy young man was whether I would do the spanking scene, but um. <laughs> That's um, in there, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I still haven't, I still haven't decided. But um, and you then and then the, the but definitely cut. Nightland is one of these three, and I think Nightland is very. I mean, they're all great. And then Maldoror, if you're, uh, by the Comte de Lantremont. Lantremont. I'm not familiar with this. So Maldoror, M A L D O R O R, and Maldoror is a very. It's very weird, uh, and it's it's a very unique book. Uh, it was written, in, I think, in the 1860s by this mm-hmm. guy. Who didn't really write anything else, and he died like at like 25. He died. Um, he died in the era in Paris um, during the uh, Paris Commune. But anyways, it's this book. It's this book which is basically this uh, this really like Baudelarian exercise and just mm. being as dark and gloomy and gothic and freaky as you can, like mid mid 19th century style. And it's about this. Um, 
it's basically about this super villain. It's sort of prose poetry. It doesn't really have a, it kind of has a plot at the end, but mostly it's just these vignettes. It's sort of about the super villain called, mm. called Maldoror, who can, who, uh, his goal is to, like, his goal is to defeat God, and, uh, he can change his form. He, he, and, uh, mm. he can become different animals, like some kind of shamanistic or pagan <laughs> deity, and, uh, and he talk, and he, like, has these, he talks to other abstractions and he has these visions of the universe and he has sex with a shark. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's probably the best thing. I love it. Yeah. And it has this. all this, it has all this very, um, it also has this very, it does have all this very creepy, like desod style sexuality. And, um, and, uh, you mentioned yeah, all the layers. So, uh, it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it go it so it's got then so yeah, the question when I was thinking of adapting that was like not like what do I do, I do the spanking scene, but how do I deal with the rape scene? You know, so it's very mm. it's very dark and, and depressing. But well, it has what, this, what, it has this fantasy this fantasy element overlaid on it, this real weirdness, which makes it and it has a limited almost this azathoth like vision of God as this mm. blind idiot monster. So so it's kind of so it's interesting anyway. That sounds great. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, my understanding is that you're like a you're not independently wealthy, right? You, you do this for sort of commercial purposes. Your, uh, your work, yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, I do. Uh, so I, the, mean, what, I do illustration and yeah. I do a bit of storyboarding. And uh, so, and, would would such a thing be like? Would that because that's a adapting a novel like I think the Nightland. Even if you did a very abridged version of it, right? Like you don't give every bit of dialogue. You just sort of give the scenes, um, the images that we get. Those giant horrible aliens that are invading the Earth and all the personal uh, trials that the characters go through. Um, it would be a huge project, like uh, at least a year of continuous work right so yeah, yeah. Uh, hodgson doesn't have the name that lovecraft has i mean he should uh, or at least close to it right in terms of um you know commercial he, he's just not like if you if you were to adapt this one uh, i'm looking at la chance de malador i've never heard of it i i'm pretty um i'm pretty up on this stuff i think right so if you did that uh, it would be a it would be a great work, but would it be commercial? And then would that, would you be able to take that hit? Because I, I mean, I want to read it, but what if it's not a commercial hit? Would you be able to do it? Like, is that what, is that a major consideration in your, your it, it is life? a bit of a consideration because, um, actually, I mean, um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's things like Kickstarter make it possible to reach, they make it possible to reach, sift through the sand, the sands of the, of the ocean, right? And right. find this niche, the niche audience of other people who want to see some particular thing. So I think that like, even with, um, Hodgson is probably, you know, Hodgson is, Hodgson is, is growing in stature for sure. Yeah. And he, and Hodgson is Lovecraft adjacent. And, the, mm-hmm. and so, you know, um, so there, there's, a, there's a certain amount of, you know, and, and also his stuff is just so beautifully visual. And I, um, uh, so I, it's, yeah, but there is a question of that any kind of big, and this isn't, I mean, it, it, it frustrates me, but this is a factor in why I haven't done more long-term comics is that they are very time consuming. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I'm working on a, I'm working on a, I might be, I may be collaborating on a children's book comic with some friends of mine. Um, and, you know, there's a great, you know, I mean, I, you know, they're good friends and uh, it's, it's a cool project and there's mm-hmm. a big market for YA comics. Mm-hmm. Not so much for like crazy, not, not so much for comics about, uh, 
deranged uh, <laughs> mid 1800s uh, supervillains. But um, I don't know. I, I, dude, I use comics in my classes. I mean, they're not big classes. They're not commercial. In this one, uh, well, I say they are commercial. They're not public school, so um, I don't have to deal with the things that public school teachers do. Mm-hmm. But I, I, th- I feel like a lot of the problems school has put upon people is that the parents have expectations, the teachers have expectations, the politicians have expectations, and the kids suffer sort of a bland porridge uh, because of these expectations. Um, yeah. And so, like, uh, I wouldn't be able, if I was a regular school teacher like my sister or my mom or my grandma or whatever, I'd have to, you know, be reined in. I wouldn't be allowed to show them what I think would make them interested, which is cool stuff that makes kids interested, right? Sure, yeah. But like I've used, uh, and maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm doing it anyways. Uh, your, like I, I take scans of your thing and I print it up and then we go through it and we're highlighting all the vocab words. And I'm like, this is, if I could afford it, I'd have like these as textbooks, except I probably wouldn't because I want them to draw on them in the way that <laughs> kids are not allowed to draw on them, you know, like in the margins. Yeah, so, yeah. So that, I mean, that's the great thing about the comics medium. It, I don't know if you know this, but uh, during World War II, um, mm-hmm. they did a study to try and figure out what the best way to educate all these new soldiers was on stuff that they weren't able to educate them with because they don't have staff. Yeah. Um, and they did a study, you know, like, is it a book, uh, um, instruction manual, or is it visual, like just uh, IKEA-style instructions, or if it was... um you know, just speaking or was it hands on? And they found that the most economic way and best way to teach soldiers to like, uh, clean their rifles was to draw comics. Oh, wow. Cool. And well, the reason is, that's true. It's got visual. It's got uh, visual you know, where okay. it needs visual and it's got textual where it needs textual, right? Carefully, mm-hmm. right? You can use this word carefully draw the bolt back or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, rather than just like showing the bolt being pulled back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, there's no, so the, this is, I think, why comics are so beloved by children is because it allows for you to still experience it even when you don't know what the word is. And then it teaches you that word. Yeah. Right? It's so true. I mean, it, yeah, it gives you the context, you know, that, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not fluent in Japanese. I can only learn a little bit, but I, I actually that's from you know reading manga is, is what gave me the inspiration to, to even try to learn Japanese. Um, you know, I was just reading these looking at these horror comics that weren't mm-hmm. translated, and I was like, what are they saying? What is going on? Mm-hmm. And the first the first Japanese I learned to translate was the sound of a scream, <laughs> and uh, you know, it sort of all sort of all came came from there. Although now my Japanese is terrible, I, I haven't. Uh, worked in that industry in years but that's cool well we touched on a number of uh of our our favorite writers and stuff like that but um what what are you not tweeting about because you you don't tweet nearly as much as me so i just see you know i every once in a while i see oh my god there's a new map of uh one of those little dungeons and dragons games that i modules that i played and then i love Ah. following the, the little guy around the map and see seeing all the torture chambers and oh, oh, i love excellent. that so those excellent. maps are terrific um uh, thank you thank you yeah i really love doing them um and hopefully i'll have, be having i'll have some more out in the in the in the, in the, in the new book future. of those or something 
I mean, I would like to, but I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, well, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, a lot of my time, uh, well, my wife and I are expecting our first child. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so that's, that's very, uh, that's very exciting. That's going to uh, take up a lot of time. <laughs> yes, I, I think. 20 years or so. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's, um, so that's that's going to be very exciting. On the other yeah. hand, you're going to have to like, earn some income to pay for all those yes, diapers exactly. and clothes and shoes and uh, exactly. Yeah, I'd like to do something. Um, well, I'm I'm just really I'm going to really <laughs> I'm really shooting off names of projects here that I haven't done. But for those who are listening, okay. uh, I'd really like to, I'd like to do something involving ancient travel narratives, um, like Marco Polo, right. Ibn Battuta, um, and um, God, I forget his name. I think it's Jin Zhang, the guy who did um, Journey to the West. Mm. Um, I'd like to do something about those and um, weave them together in some way, mm-hmm. or illustrate some of them. Because that's something where you could do where it's map based. And the thing mm-hmm. that I like about maps, is, um, or that I've sort of stumbled into discovering this, is that they're kind of comic-like in a way because they mm-hmm. contain a narrative, which is. Um, uh, I mean, it's a cheat of a comic because I'm not drawing out the scenes, you know, but, mm-hmm. they, but you know, they, they contain a narrative that you follow spatially, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's supplemented by text, you know, only you're following the little figure on their course rather than, rather than following, just scrolling left to right. There's, a lot, the there's a lot of, uh, I know I, I'm not a talented comic maker, but I am a fan. I read comics every week and I, I draw little one page comics to yeah. stories and stuff like that. But, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot that you can leave out when you make a, a little box and you put something in it, right? You, yes. you can imply a lot of stuff that's not there. Um, but in, in a map, like I was thinking, I've got the Dreamlands map and like one of the amazing things is like you must have gone through all the stories. And got all the names, and then you had to revise it because you, you know, you found some more or something, and then you have to revise it again because you found some more, and then you have to figure out where they are because it's not really ge- the geography is pretty not defined, right? Because yeah. first of all, it's dreams, and second of mm-hmm. all, you know, he's not consistent. Um, so, like, how did that? How did that process? Like, do you say I'm going to sit down and make this map? I have to read every goddamn story again and make oh, notes about it. Yeah, that literally is how I did the map. I went through all of his. Um, fiction, and uh, I went through all of his. I went through. Well, I don't think I didn't go all through all of his poetry, but I, I, I think I did a pass through mm-hmm. his poetry. Um, just looking at all that, the capitalized just, words. Just looking for all the capitalized words. Yeah, and um, and then through Dunsany too. Although for Dunsany, the map is not the, the map of the Dreamlands that I have done so far is not um, doesn't include all of Dunsany's things. It mm-hmm. just sort of runs there at the edges as Easter eggs, um, and. Uh, so yeah, I literally did. I, I I did all that work, and then I just figured out how to arrange it. And of course, other people have done maps of the Dreamlands. There's a mm-hmm. couple of good ones that Chaosium did. There's this beautiful um, uh, Chaosium book, Call of Cthulhu book, called The Field Guide to the Dreamlands, mm. which has um I think the artist by Mark. I think his name is Mark J. Ferrari, and it's all done with colored pencils, and it's so nice. nice. I loved that when I was. I've, I've seen some some very sort of just you know in a paperback some line drawings that were not amazing but uh the sydney syme did one for oh he did that's lord, right yeah. lord dunsany right yeah um and i've only seen that uh you know in sort of low res on the back of a 1970s or 60s uh publication but i, I want to get one i want to get that bigger so that i can you know 
look at it and gaze yeah. upon it and, yeah. and say, oh, this is where that story. But the thing is, is I just finished reading, um, that, uh, story, how, how Nuth would have practiced his art upon the mm-hmm. knolls. And, you know, like it's set in England, <laughs> sort of, right? So the, the, just, I, I imagine doing an actual travel map of, of a, a historical travel is much easier than, cause we have, our actual geography, right? But they also have their ex- expectations yeah. and we have the old maps of what they thought was, was, uh, the geography and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the same time, there's, um, yeah, of course, name, place names change, change, sure. and, you know, towns, cities come and go. But at the same time, there's archaeologists and people who spend their lives digging up this data. And then I can just Google it and snatch away the fruit mm-hmm. of their years of labor. And Absolutely. That's our, that's our, that's what I teach my students is copying is what you're, what you're good at. It's what we should all be doing. Photocopying is not cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's a good you point. should be that's copying all the time because somebody else did it better than you. They worked on it for years. If you want to be a good golfer, copy Tiger Woods' stance or whatever it is. I have no idea, but, um, you know, you don't like trace exactly. You look at it and you try and make yours look like that and then you, take your style and you work on this and it it's just like yeah like you were a kid breaking down the first sentences of these stories writing them down you're mm-hmm. just trying to see how the sentences actually flow and how yeah. it got made and how it got put together and it helps you because now it's no longer the product of god but mm-hmm. rather it's the product of of a flawed god called man <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, you uh, you start out by copying, and you know, and gradually develop your own voice. I suppose if you're, you know. Oh no, you or, you definitely you, do at some point, or you stop yeah. doing it altogether. Either you stop doing it, or you develop your own voice. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, like, I mean, it interest. Uh, you ever read Gary Myers' Dreamland stories? Mm-mm. So he did a, Gary Myers is an interesting guy. He's alive and he's really nice. I've met him a few times. Um, but he, uh, in the, in the, in the 1970s, when he was about 20 years old, he published, he got Arkham House to publish a collection of his dream Lance pastiches. It's called The House of the Worm. Hmm. And they're all basically, they're much more in the style of Dunsany than Lovecraft. They all have that sort of ironic, I mean, one or two of them refer to Cthulhu and stuff, but basically they have that kind of ironic, uh, twisty, you know, ending. They don't have any of the pathos of like, oh, they don't have any of the nostalgia and like sense of loss that, that Lovecraft mm. like to go for in the white ship and telephase and everything. Mm-hmm. But they're just very cute little sort of cause crew. I don't know if you know how to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Contest rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and, uh, uh, what's his name? The yeah. French guy, Baudelaire. And there's, only, and there's only about 80 pages of them. So they're very short. Oh, Anyways. Cool. Yeah, 77 got, pages. I'm looking at it. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, but I, I got this. That's another book that I got when I was at a formative age, you know. And he really hasn't done. He's done a handful of other stories since, and I think you can buy his stuff in a more recent collection. He's done. A, he's done like a novel, a sort of a young adult fantasy novel, a couple of a couple of other things. But mostly, he just works another job. But um, really, a really nice dude. And um, it's uh, anyways. It's interesting. I just uh, think of him as someone who really. Um, I think of him as another super. 
that's another fan of that that, that Dreamland stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've also, have you read Bellet Bow? The kids. I have not read. I heard. I heard about it when it was being published. Um, or you know, I guess it was a couple of years ago that it came out. But yeah, yeah, it's a sort of uh, a revisit to the same Dreamlands as the original novel. Yeah, it is. It's a, basically a direct sequel, although it doesn't have. And Randolph Carter shows up as like a sort of subsidiary character. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, it's really good. It's kind of a, um, I mean, basically it's kind of a feminist, uh, you know, it's a, it's a women led respin of, of dream quest. Uh, only it's this time it's about a person from the dreamlands who's looking for the, the waking world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an inversion of dream, right. of dream quest in a sense, but what, but it's amazing, but it's, well, it's really good. And also, um, Johnson, she doesn't, she actually imitates Lovecraft's prose style, in a way that's uh, not, it's not like, not in like a, oh, this is obviously what she's doing, you know, forcing it away. But it ha- it's, it's very much a, a story of description and travel. And um, it's so, it's, uh, and I, you know, so, you know, I mean, I've read other stuff. So she's consciously doing this to, to, be, to get in the spirit of the story. Um, it really has, is in the same mode of this travel narrative, and it's really well done. Um, so yeah, I, uh, no, yeah, she's she's quite good. That sounds good. I, I, I yeah, I don't read like very much modern stuff in large part like you. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for time, <laughs> time to winnow away that which is uh, less important, which uh-huh, is most yeah. stuff, right? I don't read most novels from the 1920s. I read the ones that are still have some cachet in some way, uh, or because I'm interested in sort of like understanding that period of time. Like I used to think. Only 1890s are interesting. Nothing after 1900 is interesting. And it was just wrong. It turns out that there's lots interesting after 1900, um, and 1910 and 1920 and 1930s. And, you know, I'm, I'm still not convinced there's anything interesting in the seventies, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely wrong about that. So I'm willing to go for it, but, um, well, that's what, that's when the house of the worm came out. So. There you go. That's, okay, I, I, I know, I, I know I'm definitely wrong. Well, I, I tend to focus on anything that's public domain because then sure, I feel yeah. like, uh, I could share it as widely as possible. It has nothing to do with, with, uh, commercial concerns, uh, except I'm happy. I'm happy when people say, I'm going to move, make a short film out of this story or whatever. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very uh, good because I just want, I want to share the joys of the things that I'm discovering. And sometimes I don't, you know, I don't agree with everything that's ever put, I put up. It's just, it's there and it's free. You can do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. Um, one uh, thinking of the travel narratives, there was a great series. Um, my uncle read to me when I was a kid, very, very slim volumes. I'm looking at them right now. Cause I still have them. Uh, the PDFs I made of the scans uh, do you know about Henry Treese? He's a British writer. Oh, I never heard of him. No. He's very cool. T R E E C E. Um, and he wrote a, a bunch of, uh, sort of, I want to say mythological British books. That's not exactly right, but hmm. uh, he wrote one that's, um, it's called The Green Man, you know, sort of about the Green Man. <laughs> oh, okay. Not the Kingsley Amos novel, The Green no, Man. No, no, no. Okay. Um, he, he was like a children's sort of adventure is how he's classified. He wrote w- one short, short thing that's, you know, uh, prehistorical romance. So basically, you know, cave, cave kids. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Um, but the ones I'm thinking of is, is usually called the Viking trilogy. And the first book's called Viking Dawn, and I can't remember what the second one's called, but I'll look it up. 
And then the last one is Viking Sunset. And it's a story of a Viking kid. And he grows up. So in the first one, he's a kid and he goes out a Viking. And the second one, uh, he's an adult and they go to, oh, it's the road to Miklagard. So they oh. go to, uh, to Istanbul, right? Or Constantinople. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, becomes one of the Varingian guards or whatever. And then, uh, the last one is, this is such a cool one because where he's already gone to Ireland, gone a raiding there and he's gone down into the warm uh, Mediterranean, where is left to go? Mm. So My gosh. they go well, into... Did it in, uh, there's an asterisk. Is there? Yeah. That's cool. I don't remember that one. It's one of the later ones, but not too late, okay. like 70s or 80s. I'm gonna, I got to dig that yeah. up because I love asterisks. Me too. I, I love, I, when I figured out that the wizard who gives everybody potions name was Get a Fix. Yeah. <laughs> As in, I gotta get my drugs. I gotta get a fix. <laughs> I started laughing so hard. I couldn't believe they're all their names are like that, right? Yeah. It's like, how did this translate? I just did it. It's amazing. Anyways, um, no, Asterisk and Tintin were the first comics that I read. Great yeah, stuff. Basically. Great stuff. Oh, what about Lucky Luke? No, I never read Lucky Luke. I actually literally have never, I don't think I've ever seen a book of Lucky Luke. I had there. a kid who was, uh, uh, I, I met a kid one summer. He's a great friend of mine. Um, he just got literally got off the boat from France. Like they f- sailed over from France. Um, and they're going to live in Canada and, uh, he didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any French. Um, but, uh, he had Lucky Luke comics. <laughs> and so, uh, we, we read Asterix and Lucky Luke in French. Um, and then I, uh, you know, he learned English and. Uh, so I, I I read Lucky Luke in the original French or what I don't know maybe it's Belgian or whatever but um it's basically cowboy comics uh but done as in the same style of he's got a horse and it's uh, very much Asterix and and that sort of style of Tintin uh, Tintin also that's the other thing is like if you gave a kid today Tintin and said they're reading it in school and their parents hadn't heard of it. Like the captain, he's an alcoholic, you know, Yeah, it's like, it is so obvious. Like there's all sorts of horrible things going on in there and well, kids are like just yeah. blase. It's fine. They don't mind at all. Well, I would have been, um, I mean, it, honestly, I mean, I had a lot of, there was a lot of alcoholics around me when I was growing up. So, so uh, but Standard. I was actually surprised by the Spielberg Tintin movie, which was I, which I wasn't very. Which I, I, wasn't I don't remember it of. at all, other than yeah. lots of action sequences. But it had a, um, it had it was a, basically about Captain Haddock's alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of decided to lean into it and sort of the message. And I mean, this is I don't know if this is the correct way to do it, but it's one way to do it. They they like basically the whole the whole arc of the first the movie, which I guess maybe the only movie. It don't look like it doesn't look like let's do a sequel. Is Haddock. He's an alcoholic, and then he's like at the end, he's like, "Oh, I'm." He like basically decides he's not going to drink so much, or he quits, mm. or something. But he's just causing trouble for Tintin for the whole movie by his boozing, um, which is so. In that way, it's very, it's very true to the original works. Mm. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't remember was, it very well. I'm pretty sure I saw at least a, maybe I saw a review of it, but um, it it seemed like it was trying to replicate that sort of 1930s. Uh, or if you ever seen that show called Tales of the Gold Monkey, sort of. No, I never have saw that one. What's oh, Tales of the Gold Monkey? Tales of the Gold Monkey is, it's like, it's like it should have been a huge hit. Um, but I guess it was on at the wrong time or whatever, but it, it basically, it's, uh, it, have you seen Archer? 
Um, the, 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 the no, the I, I've seen only a little bit of it. Okay, uh, so. You're talking about the show, the, yeah, the uh, cartoon. Sort of, Realistically, semi-flat animation, yeah. Yeah, so. but you get used to the animation, but the, it's mm-hmm. the writing that's so good on Archer. Anyways, they they do a whole season that's basically a recapitulation of Tales of Gold Monkey. It's basically Indiana Jones um, as a TV show, except uh, he's a pilot um, in the South Pacific. He's flying a amphibious boat, and they, they go to islands with cannibals on them. And, and it's, it's every sort of 1930s serial trope. Um, and it's, you know, the Japanese are sort of spreading into the, into the Pacific and they have to mm-hmm. deal with that. And it's just a, it's not an anthology show, but it has one of those titles, you know, like huh. Tales of the Gold Monkey. Anyways, it's, it's like, if that had, if I'd known it was on TV in the eighties, I would have got, like, I think it only lasted a season or whatever, but it's well, one of those, a live action show. It's a live action show and okay. it doesn't feel, it, it, it's kind of like, um, they filmed it all in Hawaii with one, you know, instead of having a, a hot car like Magnum PI's Ferrari, they have a, a hot, uh, aircraft hmm. and, and it's just, it's just an adventure, old fashioned adventure show set in the thirties with, Anyways, it's kind of like that. Wow. Okay. No, I never heard of it. Yeah, it's probably on YouTube. It's it's pretty cool. Anyways, I was going to say about that uh, Viking series. You know, you get that travel to Ireland and you know, uh, killing priests and all that stuff, and then you go down to the Miklagard and you do all the southern adventures with these guys. And then they go over to North America, and we you know we all know that Vikings showed up in uh, yeah Newfoundland, but. They actually go all the way into Ontario and, and get involved, like, with a local Mohawk war against some Algonquins or whatever. Wow. And, and it, by the end, he's like an old man. But it's, it's just three really jam-packed stories, like, very thin volumes, what, 100, yeah, 177 pages. Um, illustrated, too. Beautiful. Um, it's Canadian public domain, sadly, so you can't, you know, do anything you want with it, but. Oh, wow. Well, uh, I just like that so, sort of, um, I, 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 I don't know why people aren't doing more of that. Like, I, I have a friend of mine who's, you know, really good, talented artist. He does streaming of his art, you know, on oh. Twitch as well as playing games and stuff like that. Should send me a link. I, I will when I figure out how to do that. I barely got it working on my TV, but, um, he, uh, he's from Peru. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, he's doing images of the Joker and, you know, whatever hot thing is in the movie theater. And I'm like saying, dude, why don't you like go and uh, illustrate all the, all the, um, uh, ones that Sidney Syme didn't illustrate. You know? Oh, wow. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, there's a story out of the Book of Wonder that doesn't get us, get, a, get one. You can see what he was doing, right? The Sidney Syme style is, it's kind of like your style too. It's like just hyper detail and then tiny little detail. And then I don't, I, I you're obviously not identical, but well, I, yeah, you appreciate he's, it. He's, I think he's, he's a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to go to the Sydney Sima. There's a library that has a collection of his work in Britain and I've been to Britain once and I wanted to go to this. I was trying to get to this little town that has Sydney Sima's complete collection. That but would then be amazing. They, they're only open like one day a month. Oh so. no. Out, yeah. You have to like camp out in town until they open up on the day. That that's unfortunate. <laughs> um, uh, what do you think of Virgil Finlay? Because I, I, I worship at his throne. I love, I love Finlay. Incredible. Just, yeah, I love all seeing. I love seeing all those glowing spheres and the 
you know, that his is style is really, it's really distinct. Like you can even tell, well, as long as it's not a painting, you can always tell it's yeah. Virgil Finlay, even if it's yeah. not signed. Mm-hmm. But uh, he does. He did this technique. I've ever done it. I've never. I've never even seen anybody do it. It's all scratchboard stuff. Oh, that's how he did it. Yeah. So it's like a piece of. I guess it's a piece of black hard paper. Oh, uh, yeah. And then he, instead of adding detail by, I don't know, inking, he scratches away that which doesn't belong. So it's almost like sculpting, right? Oh, right. That's. I. Yeah. I mean, I. I've. I haven't done that since art school, but I know what you're talking about. I've never done it. Uh, I've never even seen it done, but I read about it. And I was like, oh, my God, that explains so much of why the lines look the way they do. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the art is just it's I mean, his paintings are similar, but they're they're not as and you can always see like he's used the same models. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is I don't know who the models are, but he, he takes he's he must take a photograph and then. Yeah. As like when I realized that you could take a photograph of something or take an image and then transform that into a, a a piece of art that you're drawing, like that changed. Oh, now I understand why I can't draw hands because <laughs> I'm I'm not looking at a hand when I'm drawing it, right? Mm. Um, so that the, I guess going to art school would probably have helped, right? Well, I, uh, you know, well, I felt I wish I'd taken a little more art school because uh, I was only there for a, um, I only was a minor in art and I majored in English, actually, although that in itself was really useful. And, uh, but I mean, yeah, yeah, practice, practice, practice. I, um, you know, even, even the hundreds of pages that I've spent on projects that I didn't complete, I I felt I really developed my skills and on those things, you know, Mm -hmm. (sighs) ah, Um, well, I know. I, I you hate, have to go. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I could uh, keep no. talking for another hour, here's but I've got to. Here's I've what we're going to do. I'm going to try and coordinate with you, and we're going to get you on a show, a regular one, and then you won't feel like uh, you're the star of the show. You'll be more free to exercise <laughs> all your, uh, you know. So uh, I, I'm not great at email because I I get millions of them because I have the same email since I first got online. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, I do have it. And I also have, uh, I'm really good at DMs. So if you don't have, cool. if you don't have Twitter on well, your phone, just check it every week or so. And, uh, okay. and I'll, I'll send you a link to the, to the, um, schedule and we'll see if we can find a show that you want to be on. That would be great. I'm so, I'm sorry that I, um, I missed, no uh, that's the why I, daughter, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you all said about it. I th- it's going to be like uh, three, three months. <laughs> <laughs> three three and a half months before it comes out. But, ah, um, oh well. Um, but uh, we have one coming out tonight on you know, used bookstores as a topic. Oh, cool. Which okay. is uh, uh, mostly about the smell. <laughs> well, Jesse, it's a huge pleasure talking to you. It was a great pleasure to meet you uh, virtually. Yes. Well, um, I hope you uh, the rest of your day is lovely. And uh, got six hours of tutoring ahead of me. Yay. Um, good luck. All right, <laughs> Thank everybody. you so much. Thank you. Enjoy your Sunday, and I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio.
I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm, I'm also glad alive. you got uh, my email. I I have uh, yeah. I I think it's much better to have a cushion than it is to have a uh, a deadline. <laughs> Yeah, so so you did um, the King of Elfland's Daughter yesterday? Yes, we did. Oh gosh, well I'm really sorry that I missed that. I, I didn't understand your your email from a while back. Oh well, uh, I'm not very good on email. I'm much better on Skype. <laughs> Coolness. Even though Skype is a piece of crap and uh, makes my life a nightmare many <laughs> many days of the week that I use it, um, it does make it, it's just I I can meet people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was looking back at, uh, our, uh, like, as like, how did I find out about Jason Thompson? And, uh, by the way, this is all going to be in the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Guess, we'll well, see. Alice, that's good. Well, I haven't, I haven't said anything too ridiculous yet. So no, I, well, I don't worry. <laughs> no, almost nobody listens. You know, you got like 3000 people or whatever it is. But, um, I was thinking like, how did I find out about Jason Thompson? Cause, uh, it's been a long time. I was like, usually what happens, um, I find some person on the internet. This is sort of my MO. Uh, I like, I'm just looking at my own behavior and it's like, oh, my friend Scott, how I started my website mm-hmm. is he was writing a column for a blog website review thing. And I was like, here's a guy who gets it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just submitted like, uh, some suggestions for his, thing and and uh he wasn't getting a lot of feedback from that website that he was writing for so i was like mm-hmm. yeah yeah you definitely you got something here and we were he was writing reviews of uh science fiction audiobooks oh. back before uh you know they were everywhere yeah and uh so uh, we became internet friends and then i met him once in person and now i talked to him you know, regularly, but <laughs> it, cool. yeah. So, um, I was thinking, how did I meet Jason Thompson online? And the first time is obviously today. That's, that's true. That's true. I've, uh, it's, there's always this weird, um, strange, strange thing with podcasts. I listen to so many podcasts mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'm become, I'm, I'm I completely recognize people's voices because I hear them every day. Right. And that's have been like this in the age of radio, you know, cause there's, sure. like, there's this unearned uh, sense that you know somebody when in fact you just you, it's completely one one, one directional. <laughs> and it is I'm one directional, be, you know. So although I, we do hang out on Twitter, so yeah, it's not like I'm you know, just you know. Well, no, I, I mean I know tons about you, but they're all like it's what you choose to share or you happen to not notice that you're sharing. You know, true, true. Um, like uh, you're you were learning Arabic at one time. Mm-hmm. It's like wow. Oh, it's still yeah. Well, my yeah. wife's my wife's from Jordan and. uh so since since we when we were dating, I've been studying Arabic, and really I should be much much better than I really considering how long this been. I should be much better <laughs> than I am. But uh, well, you're not you're I'm not a baby anymore, right? No, no, it's no. Hard to learn languages when you're getting older and older. Yeah, it's hard for yes, it's hard to, once in middle age. It's a uh, it's it's tricky, but uh, you know. So uh, yeah. I figured out when I first heard of Jason Thompson, though. Uh, oh, yeah, and I I'm wondering if. There's a lot of people who are in the exact same situation because mm. I can, I can probably put the exact date on it. Um, not that I will, but, um, it was the, the morning after the last episode of John Stewart's show. Oh, um, the daily show. Really? Okay. 
And the 20, reason, so 2014 or 2015? 2015. 2015. 2015. 2015. It was like yeah. March, I think, 2015. Yeah. Um, because I, I didn't watch it uh, in the evenings. I watched it usually in the morning after. So I'm assuming it was the morning, but it's March 2015. And the reason is, uh, I guess you would know this, I assume, <laughs> and my memory isn't failing me. Um, they did sort of an extended episode and did a tour of the sets and stuff like that. And they went into the writer's room. Oh, yeah. And on the yeah. wall in the writer's room, there was a map of the Dreamlands. And I'm like, what the hell is this? That's been in there the whole time? <laughs> I need that. I know. Where's all the Dreamlands related humor that you would expect would have creeped into the show, you know? So. Well... <laughs> maybe not but um uh you know obviously they had people who were sensitive (laughs) people who were yeah and you know and readers right they have the vocabs and writers you know they go together um so somebody there uh figured out this this guy really knows where his towel is um (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they got they got up uh, your poster. When did when did you make first make that? Because that that was the second version, I think, right? Um, well, there's uh, two versions of the map. The first right. one is a black and white version that I drew in the end papers of the Cadath uh, uh, graphic novel that I did, and that right. came out. Um, that I don't I think it was printed until 2012, mm-hmm. and then and the um, color poster sort of came out of that. I started with the same artwork. But then I really um, expanded it out and modified it a lot. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that, that was 2012. Wow. So uh, they probably had it in there for at least a year or so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't think it was that much long after that I, I said, I got to f- track this down. And I used my amazing internet skills by typing to Google <laughs> Dreamlands. <laughs> poster or whatever it was oh my phone's going off okay um oh and you know the other thing we should do is oh my god sorry my phone is usually better than this but it's getting worse so i'm going to turn it off yeah we have um uh google home as well so it's occasionally it's occasionally butting into conversations yeah i don't know i'm gonna try and murder it but it doesn't have a throat. <laughs> it has a throat, but it must die. <laughs> um, but the other thing we need to do is uh, introduce ourselves, because I'll put that at the beginning. So oh, yeah. Say. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Jason. <laughs>